First of all, I want to thank you for your faithful prayer and financial support. Um, <clears throat> over the years, you first started supporting us when we were on our way to Ireland as church planting missionaries, and I want you to all know that, uh, <clears throat> that seed sowing and work has produced fruit, and now there's a local church in that community of Carrick Macross in County Monaghan, and uh, last year they bought property for the first time. And uh, May 15th, they're having a dedication service for their new building. And my wife and I are privileged to go and have a chance to speak at the dedication of this new building. So we're rejoicing, and you ought to rejoice because you're part of that. And uh, God has been working. God is working in a number of other ways. And uh, I officially retired February 1st from my role as East Church Connections Director for World Venture, but I'm continuing to work five days a month for uh, developing some of the projects we've been working on, and uh, God is already blessing that. Uh, I'll share more this evening, but you know, you work and you work and you work, and then finally things start coming together. Uh, And just actually since I retired, uh, We've been working on a project of mobilizing African-American churches, and uh, uh, God has opened some doors wide for that. And uh, some of the other projects we've been working on, God has been blessing. So uh, keep praying. We appreciate your continued support and uh, trust that God will uh, continue to bless our ministries together. As I was coming here yesterday afternoon, I got off the thruway at the Selkirk exit, and my mind flashed back 12, 13 years ago when we were living in Selkirk, and I had been working down in Philadelphia, so I picked up my mother-in-law who lived in Philadelphia and brought her up to visit. And my mother-in-law was a sweet old lady, and... uh, there are ways things are done, and there are ways things are not done. And <clears throat> I don't know what made me do it, just the orneriness, I guess. But uh, you remember back then, uh, we were just starting to use Easy Pass. And <clears throat> as we, uh, thank you, I appreciate that. Selkirk at that time exit was one person in the middle and he handed tickets out going one way and collected your money going the other way. And as I was coming down the ramp, I saw a car coming on. So I said to my mother-in-law, you know, I get so irritated. I pay my taxes, I pay tax on gasoline, and then they want to charge me tolls to use the road. It's not fair. I already paid for this road. You know, sometimes I just don't want to make that payment. And I knew this guy, the attendant, was busy with the car coming off. And I said, I'm going to sneak through. I'm not going to pay my toll. And I went right through. Of course, the Easy Pass charged the toll. But my mother-in-law didn't know anything about electronics or Easy Pass. (laughs) And you should have heard her. Andy, you can't do that. That's illegal. 
supposed to do that? You're a minister. You can't cheat. As I started to take her to Albany Med, no, <clears throat> she, she, didn't, <clears throat> she didn't really have a heart attack, but in mid-sentence, she stopped, got quiet. What's going on? She said. I know you wouldn't cheat. <laughs> Good. So I explained to my mother-in-law that what she saw was accurate. Her eyesight was good. But she didn't see everything because she didn't know about Easy Pass. So she didn't see that little green light that says Easy Pass. Come on. And, and, and that's really what happened in the scripture reading that we just read. Aram is Syria. And so the story is the same as we might hear tomorrow in the news. The king of Syria that war with the king of Israel. But the difference is that every time the king of Syria, Aram, planned a military campaign, Israel found out about it. And he got enraged. He figured there was a spy. And his officer said, no. We don't need CIA help <laughs> in Israel. They've got the prophet of God. And so the king sent the army to capture this prophet who was messing up his war plans. And he surrounded the city. A little overkill, enough army to surround this small city just to capture one man. But if he can tell the king of Israel what the king of Syria is thinking in his bedroom, we better have enough strength. Uh, interestingly, he still didn't have enough strength, but we didn't read that part, did we? <clears throat> the servant of the man of God got up, looked over the city wall, rubbed his eyes again, <laughs> And then he began to tear out his hair. And then he says, oh my Lord, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And the man of God says, you're right. I'm paraphrasing. You're right. We're surrounded. Humanly speaking, it's hopeless. But you don't see the whole picture. And he prayed. Lord, open my servant's eyes. And then he saw, wow, the hills all around the enemy filled with angels and horses and chariots of fire. <laughs> the Syrians didn't have a chance, did they? But they didn't know it either. They thought they were in control. You know, this is how God wants us to live. Realizing, as Psalm 34 says, the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear God, and he delivers them. That's the way God wants us to live. Living every day, conscious that there is a God who is in control. 
And yes, he may allow the enemy's army to attack us, but he still doesn't have the upper hand because God is still in control. And so, you know how it works. I know how it works for me. I'm about ready to go to a meeting and <clears throat> I've got things planned so I've got enough time to get there. And just as I'm about to leave, the phone rings and I'm tied up on the phone. And so it's okay. And I run out to get in the car and, and I see that the tire's flat or some such thing. And you know my immediate reaction. Oh, wow. God's in control. The angels are surrounding me. Everything's good. Not. <laughs> no, you know, my immediate reaction is the same as the servants. Tear out my hair. Oh, my Lord, what am I going to do? I got a meeting to attend. They're expecting me to preach. And, you know, I'm changing attire. What is it that is so hard for us? Not in our doctrinal statements. Not in what we say we believe, but in everyday living. Why is it so hard for us to see the chariots of fire, the angels that surround us? Haven't we all experienced the power of God in washing us of our sin? But in day-by-day activities, we've seen it. And we forget. And I, I, I just urge you this morning to pray for yourself as you start the day. Lord, open my eyes to today so I can see your power surrounding me in the circumstances of life. <clears throat> and I wonder, as you consider your vision, how well do you see? How well do you see the world that God created and God loves? We know that God loved the world enough to send his son, don't we? We know that God really, really loves the world. And that isn't just us. That includes everybody. There's 6.8 now billion people in our world. Some 2 billion people who have never heard of Jesus. Think about it. Do we really believe that for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? And that's such a joy. And we can see heaven. And the other side of the coin, those without Christ have no hope. And it eternally lost? Do we believe it? Do we see this world? Remember Jesus as he looked over the city of Jerusalem? Everything seemed okay. They were enjoying a measure of peace and everyday life was going on. And Jesus looked over the city. Remember what he did? He started to cry. It looked okay. But he could see eternal souls rebelling against him. Do you see this world that God created, that he loves, without hope, heading 
for an eternity without God. Those of you who appreciate football will understand this illustration, and those of you who don't, don't care anyway. But several years ago, uh, Bill Parcells started as the new coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And Joe Gibbs came out of retirement also from NASCAR and went back to the Redskins. And the announcers were talking about the season ahead. And Joe, uh, <clears throat> Bill Parcells, you remember, took some of his retired players from New England and the Jets and all, and they went to Dallas. And, and, and the announcers said, it's very simple. Bill Parcells with the Cowboys, Joe Gibbs with the Redskins, they have just one job to do this year. The announcer said, they have to bring back the glory days of these sad franchises that had been way at the top. Bring back the glory days. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, wow! That's where a lot of Christians are. That's where a lot of churches are. It's almost like we as God's children have our eyes firmly fixed on the past. Remember the good old days. Remember back then when Pastor So-and-so was here. You know, I was at Starks last night and Richard was telling me about the pastor he had down in Philadelphia. I remember that guy. Good old days. Looking at the past. The past is great. I just retired. I've been reliving the past. But we take encouragement from the past and look at the future because we can't go to the past. We can't undo yesterday. But we can see tomorrow, can't we? How's your vision about the world that God wants us to reach? I called home one night. When I'm traveling, I, I talk to my wife two or three times a day, or five or six, depending. But I, we like each other, so we talk. And I called one night, and you guys know what I'm talking about. I could tell my wife had been crying. It's just in her voice. And that did two things to me. It hurt. I should be there to comfort her. I felt sad. But I also felt pretty good. You know, uh, you know after all these years, she still misses me. Oh, all right. <laughs> that balloon was burst rather quickly. Because I said, what's wrong, honey? And she said... I was just watching TV. <laughs> and they had a news report of the children in Darfur. She was crying. Can we watch news reports and not cry? Like our God did? I, I have this image. We were at a meeting at headquarters, and 
uh, our, our missionary in Asia was showing a picture of a little five-year-old girl laying down for the night on the street, pulling a piece of corrugated cardboard over herself and tucking in her little sibling next to her. I'm haunted by that picture. Do we see the world as, as people who not only are they hurting, but they face eternity in hell? Is, are we focused on the great American dream of prosperity and comfort? Or are we focused on the Great Commission? The Great Commission doesn't always mean immediate comfort and blessing in this life. But the great American dream is only for this life. If that's our only goal. I thank God for some of the comforts that we enjoy. But is our focus on the comforts. On the Great Commission. It's a video clip of a pastor in Los Angeles. He's a Cambodian refugee. He pastors this church of Cambodian refugees. And this little church in the heart of Los Angeles have sent people back to Cambodia. And they've started something like 300 churches in Cambodia from this little center in Los Angeles. And, and when the man making the movie asked this pastor about what, why do you do this? And he said, I keep reminding myself, I keep reminding the congregation that we did not escape the killing fields. He was actually in the killing fields and survived. He said, we didn't escape the killing fields for our own comfort. Wow. Wow. You want me to tell you something? I don't know. You, you have to agree with me if you look in Scripture. You and I did not escape hell for our creature comforts in America. If that were the only thing God had in mind, he would have taken us to heaven day one. Lord, please forgive my sin and make me your child. Zoom, I'm in heaven. He didn't do that, did he? Because he has a role for us on this earth. And if we would open our eyes, we would see it. <clears throat> and I'm going to run over that. Do you see the opportunities over there? With, with all these billions of people, do you see that God can use you? God can use you. I took a group of leaders from a church in New Jersey. This is a church near all these big, high-powered office buildings and, you know, executives. These are people that deal in financial numbers that I can't even comprehend. And I took them to Senegal, West Africa. 
I introduced them to some of the <coughs> local churches there. You know, in Senegal, I'll get sidetracked here, but if you want to go with me, I'd love to take you. But in Senegal, <coughs> 12.2 million people, I think, a Muslim country. In Senegal, <coughs> you can go to this church an hour and a half drive from the coast. You can go to the church in this Muslim country of three, four hundred thousand city, and you can be introduced to the first believer in Jesus in that whole area. He's still alive. I've shaken hands with him a couple of times. Isn't that amazing? Where do we have to go to find the first person to receive Jesus as Savior in Westerville? Which cemetery? But you can meet the first one there. But these guys in New Jersey met these believers and listened to them. And, and they began to share their dreams for Senegal. With this little handful of believers and 12 million people. And, and, and they say, you know, if you picture it on the map, Dakar, Senegal is the westernmost tip of Africa. He says, if you picture it on the map, if you go north and east from Senegal, where do you go? North Africa, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, all places where Americans aren't welcome as missionaries. We can go, they said. And our goal is to take the gospel north and east from Senegal. you got to be out of your mind. You know, what do you got? Three or four hundred believers here in this whole country? They didn't see... The Syrian soldiers, they saw the horses and the chariots of fire. And they knew that God had a task for them bigger than them. But he was able. And we sat around that night debriefing. And these high-powered executives from New Jersey said to me, Andy, we thought as a church we had vision. Listening to these Senegalese brothers we're vision challenged. We're vision challenged. Wow. I, down here in Cobleskill, there's a professor at SUNY Cobleskill who's an expert in drip irrigation. You know what he does? He uses his vacation time, goes to Africa. Helps our missionaries develop irrigation projects. There's a school in Uganda that trains pastors. And, and there, you know, they go to school with their families and they have to find some way to feed their families. And because of this guy in Colwellskill, they can garden on the seminary campus and grow food to feed their families. The, the professor at SUNY, Cobleskill, has a vision. He doesn't just see, but he sees. <laughs> There's a guy in Rhode Island. It, he's kind of a crusty old guy. <laughs> he's nice. He's been a builder, construction worker all his life, and you shake hands with him, and, you know, you wish it was just sandpaper there, so rough, you know, that's the kind of guy he is. 
he, he went over to southern Sudan. Southern Sudan is just like Darfur, only without the press. It's terrible. Yeah. Children are dying for drinking stagnant water. and It's just a mess. And, and there are all these war and AIDS widows, and widows have no status in the culture, so nobody pays attention to them, and yet all these widows and kids are starving. And, and, and this guy from Rhode Island, he's over there, and he's talking with our missionary, and they're thinking, they just need a well. But they actually, people have drilled wells for them. But community wells are like community cars. Nobody maintains them. And they don't last long. And they've got these wells that can't be used anymore because they're all filling in and everything. And so this missionary and this builder in Rhode Island came up with the idea, if we drilled a well and put it under the supervision of some widows... See, you got, you're way ahead of me. Charge pennies for water. The will is maintained. The widows have income. They can eat. They have status in their community. And the people are ministered to because there's all this water. So, so this guy in Rhode Island went out and bought a well drilling rig. And he, I was up there visiting. And he says, we're going to drill a couple of wells in my backyard to see how to work the thing, because I've never drilled a well before. <laughs> but I want to know how to do it so I can take it over to Africa and teach them. And I'm not sure whether it's on its way or they're still just waiting for money for shipping it to Africa. But he didn't see the Syrian army. He saw the angels and the power of God. And said, something could be done about this situation. And somebody <laughs> ought to do it. <laughs> and he's doing it. Um, largely at his own expense. There's so much going on today in the world of missions. I'm going to talk a little more tonight. Uh, but I want you to open your eyes because there's so many possibilities and so I ask you, do you see the world that God loves? Do you see the opportunities? And finally, do you see people right around you who need Christ? It's so easy to ignore our neighbors. I grew up in the woods of Maine, and we were poor, and it was a long time ago. And we had this little country church and the wood stove in it, but in the wintertime we didn't open it, and we'd have prayer meeting and I remember as an eight, nine-year-old boy, I used to go to prayer meeting with my mother. And you know what stands out in my mind? We're in this house, somebody's house, kneeling on the floor, and I just distinctly remember prayers being interrupted by tears. As different ones... You know, there were only five or six people many times. But as they prayed for unsaved relatives, I remember hearing them pray for Alvin Day and, and Bill Campbell and some of the others. And the, tear, and the sentences didn't get finished. 
because they were picturing these neighbors in hell. And today, my wife and I walk for exercise. And every time I go by Alvin Day's house and think about Alvin and his wife in heaven, I think, wow. Or Bill Campbell and his wife in heaven and his son, a preacher. And, and, and all of these revolutionary changes because they saw neighbors not as the irritant who raked leaves when the wind was blowing in their direction but they saw neighbors as eternal people that God loves do you pray for your neighbor do you love your neighbor and some of us will say well, I can't go you know my, they're not even married they've been living together for years and they aren't even married I can't go there they'll think I'm approving or else they'll think you love them, Jesus more than your... Well, anyway. Do you love your neighbor? Will you enter their world and love them for Jesus' sake? Someone said, I have no problem praying for the people I love. I just don't love enough people. Wow. I pray for my children. Do I pray for my neighbors? There's some awful hard to get along with. <clears throat> As you think about your vision, I, want to, I know I'm over time. I, I apologize. But I want you to see this video clip. What would you do if you were the father of a son who's born totally handicapped? Totally handicapped got a good mind he watches television but he can't communicate and then through the miracle of computers as a teenager he can communicate and his parents are wondering what's what's his first words going to be you know and uh, he begins to communicate that his one goal in life would be to run or participate in the triathlon swim bike, jog. How, how do you as a loving father convince your son that he's an idiot to think that way? Or do you open your eyes? Let's watch together.
The dad saw possibilities. It's so easy to see the enemy and panic. Or we can see the chariots of fire, the angels and the power of God. Maybe all we can do is be the person who comes with the towel to wipe the boy's face when the water's dripping. But we can do that. Lord, open my eyes. Open our eyes. Help us to see you and your eternal power in Godhead. 
Help us to see your love for our world and ask you to open our eyes for the needs of the world. Open our eyes for the opportunities there are to serve you in so many ways. And Lord, open our eyes to see our neighbor as an eternal being without hope, without Christ in the world. And may we use God-given insight on how we can respond for Jesus' sake, for the sake of our unsaved neighbors and world. We pray. Amen. Reverend Spore has challenged us with how